Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Freeman Means Business, Wonder Women in Business podcast. I'm super excited to have guest Neha Sumput on the show today. Neha, welcome. So great to be here, Susan. Um, I am just delighted. I really appreciate, you know, the message you really share and you really live and work about amplifying other people and making sure people's voices are heard. So I'm, I'm really honored to be here and in conversation with you. Thanks. And, you know, I found so many people say, you know, women don't speak up or black people don't speak out. Or, and I think that's not true. I think these people saying that are white men. So maybe they don't speak your language, but we certainly do speak out. And I am here to amplify those voices and those stories. So I'm super happy to have you here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. So I am a child of two immigrants from India. My parents moved to the Midwest, um, and then I was born in the Midwest in Illinois. Uh, when I was about nine, we moved to the suburbs of Chicago. And at that time, it was a very white suburb of Chicago. So I would say a very white and a very racist suburb of Chicago. So much of my formative years was spent being on the receiving side of a lot of racial bullying. And that was, I share that because it really has had a, a, a huge impact on how I embrace my identity, how comfortable I felt um, using my voice, you know, how I really was pressured to assimilate in a lot of ways and try to fly under the radar. Um, but, you know, I grew up there, went to college in Illinois, came out to California for law school uh, in the Bay Area, never left. Uh, so I went to law school. I practiced in big law um, right after I graduated from law school and then quickly had this realization. I was practicing tech licensing law at the time. And I, I kind of thought to myself, well, I'm doing this because I kind of like IP and, you know, I got these law school loans to pay, but my call is really education and empowerment. And someday I'm going to do something in education and empowerment. And in that first year practice, I asked myself, why does someday have to be so far away? And I realized it didn't have to be. And so I left that big law job to kind of move more towards my real kind of heart's passion, which was education and empowerment. So I went to work uh, as a lawyer representing California school districts. So that was my foot in the door in education. Spent a few years there and then made the big move uh, to become, to work at a law school. So I, for 10 years, I was at Golden Gate University Law School. I was Dean of Students. I taught law and leadership. And five years ago, right, as I kind of uh, met my 10-year anniversary there, uh, I left that to start my business that I currently am running, Gen Lead Belong Lab, where I'm digging deeper into diversity, inclusion, equity, and truly belonging, because we take a very bottom-up belonging approach to our work. And so um, we help organizations and individual, we help organizations really create cultures of belonging to which people can bring their true and authentic selves. And we help individuals find and develop jobs that not just like you know, fulfill their mind, but really engage their hearts, that they're really, really happy and they feel like their work aligns with their personal values and who they authentically are. So yeah, I'm really excited to celebrate my five-year birthday of the business. I had planned this giant party. And of course, you know, that couldn't happen this year. So let's hope for a six-year party for Gen Lee Belong Lab. I have to tell you, I will be there with balloons because you have made me, I mean, you're my shero. Everything you just said, the way you said it, your path, the whole journey has been set on belonging. And that is what you do. And to me, um, a lot of people use that word, you know, belonging. 
but you really represent it. Everything you've ever done has been with that in mind, um, the DEI journey. Yeah, you know, you, I think that's right. And it's interesting because I think when a lot of people hear my career journey, they're like, whoa, whoa, you were a I lawyer know. and now you're not a lawyer and then you were a teacher and then you were this and now you run your own business, you're an entrepreneur. And I'm like, oh, it all makes sense. Every it single does. step built on the last step. And I, I mean, it's one of the greatest joys of my life is looking back on my career. I feel very fortunate. I, I love my journey, the journey I've taken. I love where I'm at. And, and you're right. Like, even though it didn't have the label belonging slapped on it, I've been living and breathing belonging, you know, my whole life, you know, even when I talked about the identity as being kind of othered yeah. from a very young age. And that's what really drove my interest in making sure we create a world and workspace in which everyone's part of the in-group, right? There is no in-group, out-group. We're all part of the in-group. Yes. I wanted to ask you perhaps your proudest professional accomplishment, but listening to the journey, I think it's the journey and there's not, not particular any, I don't think you're done yet, right? There's no destination yet. You're still on that journey. But if you want to point out something, you might consider your proudest professional accomplishment. Now's the time. Yeah, I, I would. I would love to. And I appreciate that opportunity because I think part of what we teach is for people to really take a moment to recognize their accomplishments and dig into what their accomplishments say about who they are. That's such an important tool for us to be able to feel confident in our abilities. Um, and so I really appreciate that question because it gives me a chance to, to do that for myself. So, and yes, I, I do feel like my, my whole journey, I am very proud of it and I am still on it, but I would say, um, you know, one professional accomplishment I'm particularly proud of has to do with, deepening and broadening our work in addressing imposter syndrome and internalized bias. So, you know, our work is all about creating cultures of belonging, helping organizations identify what are often hidden barriers to belonging, and imposter syndrome and internalized bias, that poses a real large hidden barrier to belonging. So let me quickly define imposter syndrome just so everyone's on the same page. Imposter syndrome is that feeling that you're not cut out for the work you're doing or the work you want to be doing combined with the fear of being discovered as a fraud. So it was like my first year of law school, I was like a nerd before it was even cool to be a nerd. I show up to law school thinking this is going to be awesome. I'm finally going to find my people. I'm finally going to belong among a bunch of other nerds. And all of a sudden I'm surrounded by people who are far nerdier than I even thought was possible. So I was like, holy crap, these people are actually legit smart. And I didn't realize it, but I'm not actually that smart because they're so much smarter than me. Um, I don't belong here. I, I don't want anyone to realize that I don't belong here. I don't speak the same language they speak. They seem to have it all together. I'm the only one who doesn't. That was imposter syndrome, this feeling that I'm not cut out to be here and this fear that they're going to discover that I'm a fraud. And so this, this is a really common experience that many people have at some point in their careers. And so through my life, in my roles, I've of course heard it from like almost everybody I've talked to or worked with in some way, particularly when we talk about people who are marginalized in one or multiple ways or have been on the receiving end of bias. If you're told enough that you don't belong, you're not good right. enough to be here, that starts to become the voice in your own head saying, oh, I guess I don't belong here. I guess I'm not good enough. And so 
I was hearing this from individuals. And so when I started the business, I saw imposter syndrome as being a tremendous hidden barrier to belonging, a tremendous hidden barrier to wellness, a tremendous hidden barrier to inclusive leadership. And so I went to organizations saying, let me help you with this problem we know you have. And what I heard back from the most part was, oh, Neha, we don't have that problem here in this organization. And I'm like, uh, yeah, you do. <laughs> because we know through social science research that like 70% of the population has struggled with it. And I think we're probably seeing a lot of underreporting in that stat. And just through my experience, I knew that almost everyone I'm speaking with has struggled with it. But there was such a resistance to even try to understand what it was and take it on. And so here I had all these people telling me they're struggling with it when they talk to me one-on-one, -on -one, including people in the C-suite level of organizations. Then I had the organizational leaders saying, no, no, we don't have this problem as an organization. And then I had some of my very respected mentors telling me, Neha, don't try to sell imposter syndrome. It's just too hard to sell. It's just super hard to sell. Let me ask you about that. Um, would you speak a little bit about men having it? Because we hear a lot about women having it, but men suffer this too, right? Oh, absolutely. So, you know, there's mixed research as far as like the social science research goes. There's some research that indicates that women are maybe more likely to experience it in a particular way, that people who are uh, minorities, racial minorities might be more um, susceptible to in some ways, certainly certain careers, like I'm a lawyer, there's certain things about legal practice and how we're trained as lawyers that make us more susceptible to it. But I'm more interested, I, I want to point those things out. I want to point out that when you're on the receiving end of bias, of course, you're more likely to have these voices in your head saying you're not good enough. But at the end of the day, I just want everyone to have access to the tools to recognize and address it because absolutely white men have it. And in fact, in ways there's more pressure on them to not stand up and raise their hand and say, I'm struggling with confidence issues because they're so expected all the time to just you know, appear very confident and not allowed to show as much vulnerability um, just societally and culturally. So absolutely, it's an issue that everyone you know, can experience. Most people do in some aspect of their lives. Maybe it's in parenting. I can relate to that. You know, maybe it's not in their professional work. Um, but absolutely, this is, an, you, know, an, you know, I wouldn't say it's equally experienced. I would say anyone can experience it. But I do think it's important for us to recognize that there are certain aspects of how racism, sexism, ableism, you know, um, heteronormative uh, culture that really give rise to acute and unique experiences experiences of imposter syndrome in those who are marginalized. But um, but really, the, the, the point is there's a huge need for it, and the market was saying no. And so for me, what was a point of pride for me was that I didn't listen to my mentors on that point. I listened to myself. I knew that I had something to offer on this point. I knew there was a problem that needed to be solved. I knew I had the solutions. And I just, I just went for it. I said, in spite of what I'm hearing, all the advice I'm getting to not try to take on imposter syndrome, my heart is telling me to do this and I'm going to do it my way. And it, it, it took an investment of time and energy to really educate um, society on what imposter syndrome is, educate organizations, but it it work, it's working. It's yeah, working. I think, I think men are more reluctant to share that they suffer with this than women might be. Uh, so maybe that skews the results, but I love that you uh, didn't take the advice not to go forward on, on this journey because 
you're, you're pretty known for this, right? So this is your deal. This is what we align to your brand, you know, this whole expert on imposter syndrome and so forth. Uh, I'm glad that you didn't take the advice of your mentors, which leads me to my next question. <laughs> um, who maybe was uh, your biggest inspiration or someone you would consider a mentor, whether you, you know, took their advice or not? Yeah, that's such a big question because, um, you know, I'm really fortunate to have different mentors that have supported me in very unique in somewhat compartmentalized ways. Like I don't have like a one go-to mentor that's like my mentor. Yeah. Um, they've been different parts of my life that different people have guided me. And sometimes it's people I don't even know. Like I honestly think like, I don't know if you've seen Lavi Ajayi's TED Talk. If you haven't, check it out and um, I'll send you the link to it. But um, you know, her TED Talk is about how do you find the courage to speak truth to power? And um, her message, I don't know her personally at all. I follow her on social media. I follow her work, but she, she really had to build the courage to speak truth to power as a black woman. That is also a different sort of scenario than it is for me as an Asian woman. And certainly different than for a white woman, definitely different than from a white man. And so she kind of laid out three pronged, um, uh, I guess methodology she goes through to help herself speak truth to power. And I, I'm not going to say it in the, the, the way she says it, um, which is fantastic, but let me say it in my own words. So she asks herself, okay, you have a message you want to share. Do you mean it? Can you back it up? And did you say it with love? And I wrote those down for a good long time in the first few years of my business and had them like posted, noted to my computer screen because I was trying to build the courage. I needed the inspiration to find my voice and to amplify my voice. And so those three questions helped me speak up in ways that I knew that, oh gosh, if I write this essay, this personal essay, it's going to turn some people off. I'm going to lose some prospective clients because I'm calling some stuff out here. And it gave me the courage going through those three questions to say, you know what, that's fine. I mean, I may lose some people, but I'm going to be true to myself and I'm going to gain my voice and I'm going to gain some people who my voice does resonate with. So I'd say her TED Talk was an inspirational mentor to me. Of course, in the moment we're in today, um, you know, when I see women, particularly women of color, who face that great pressure to adapt, to fit in, whose authentic selves and voices are not welcomed, and yet who still present their authentic selves and speak their authentic voices, even at great cost to themselves, those are my like big mentors, like even like Kamala Harris, just from, you know, we're just coming right off the DNC as we're recording this podcast, you know, to see a woman who shares some of my background um, who doesn't fit the mold of woman, quote unquote, in our culture that has been accepted. She's strong. She does not back down. Um, I, you know, that, that is inspiring to me. She's creating, she's, she's paving a much broader path for us each to bring who we truly are when we don't fit the mold created by the white man of like what it means to be a leader in this, in this society. I have to admit, I was in tears. I welled up last night. I did too. I did too. 
the little video clip, especially with her relatives and such. It was amazing. Um, oh, I love so everything that comes out of your mouth. <laughs> you're, Susan, you're you, are, you are really a boost to confidence. And um, I really appreciate you, you know, that you, you are really good at hearing people and, and appreciating them. And, and thank you for that. I, I appreciate Well, that. the beauty in what you say is also how you say it. You say, um, you give permission to us to be our truest selves, right? And that is so rare. People usually try to say, well, best practices would be this. And if you're X, then you need to do ABC. And <laughs> yeah. so you actually show us how to honor our truest selves and that, you know, this expectation of being perfect or mimicking uh, men uh. is just unrealistic and not even something I'm interested in, frankly. I mean, I have grown to a place in my 54 years that I'm now uh, confident in saying other people's opinions of me is none of my business. But I can tell you, it was, you know, 50 years of not being there. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And for yeah. good reason. I mean, I look back and, you know, do I wish I could have spoken as assuredly, you know, 20 years ago as I do now? Yeah, I wish I lived in a world where I could have done that right. and I would have been as successful as I am. But I have to wonder if much of my career success, you know, over the past 20 years has been because I did play the game in a lot of ways that wasn't created by me or for me. And now, you know, I have less to lose, right? Like I, you know, you and I are at points right. in our career that we've already accomplished a certain amount. And so we have a lot more freedom to speak more freely than someone right. who's just entering their career. But it is interesting. It is so freeing. I mean, that's what my wish is and what I think our job is as people, you know, kind of more advanced in our careers is to create a world, help create a world where people coming, you know, starting their careers have more freedom to right. bring their authentic selves, right? I was and, just going to say that. We're not in the business of changing people and telling them to play the game. We're in the business yes. of changing the operating system so that- We are changing the game. That's right. That's right. We are changing- That's our, that's our job. Exactly. Exactly. And you do it beautifully. You do it beautifully. Well, let me ask you, what is something we can do, you know- maybe on a daily basis to lift other women in business? Oh my goodness, Susan, you're a great example of this. Um, amplify, okay, so I would say two things. One, well, there's many, but I'll give you two. <laughs> amplify, uh, amplify others. So each of us, I don't care where we are in our careers, each of us has an important say in who is seen as a thought leader in a particular field. In this era of social media, we each, carry a lot of power as to who is viewed as a thought leader. So I want to challenge people to look at who they follow and amplify on social media. How diverse and rich is that list? Are you amplifying the same people who already have access to tremendous networks? Are, or are you amplifying those who may not, but who have some unique ideas, unique experiences, unique approaches? So, you know, I think even if you can choose one day a week, that you're gonna amplify someone else who may not already kind of have the stage, so to speak, um, and amplify their voice, whether it's you know posting an article by them on social media, even just clicking like when they post something or adding a comment to their post on social media um, amplifies them. But really make it part of your job to amplify other women, particularly those who, again, aren't standing center stage with the spotlight on them. And the second tip I have is 
Don't do work for low cost or no cost. Own your value. This isn't just about you. It's about how we support each other. Because if I take a gig for a low cost and undervalue myself, that's setting the market rate. And then right. you know, my client is then going to the next person saying, well, you know, we had this expert come in before and she did it for practically free. So, you know, we, that's what we could, that's what our budget is. So we can only pay you X amount. And we, we contribute to keeping all of us financially uh, oppressed. So I am really right. all about, we each have to own our value for ourselves and for one another. I agree. I agree. And I'll say um, people who are afraid of the or don't recognize the value in what they do or bring to the table or maybe they don't bring it. I don't know. So maybe they don't recognize it or maybe they don't bring it. They will quickly offer a discount just to get the business. And I advise against that. Know your value. Be able to deliver it in, in a unique value proposition such that the client feels like they're, the value they're gaining from you is worth more than the cost, right? So when, that, you go that's in, right. when you go in with a discount, there's no place to go but down, right? You can't set the bar so low. And then how is it the same thing that you do next year is going to be worth double, right? right so you right. can't go in with a discount. I agree wholeheartedly. In fact, just two days ago, I had to basically fire a client that, um, you know, we've done that before. We've had to do that. Yeah. I can't readily be seen as a credible source for teaching women to own their story and demand their value if I myself. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. You, I, I mean, I have to say that all the time. I literally will sometimes laughingly say to prospective clients, okay, you're hiring me to come in and deliver. Our, our imposter syndrome busting programs are all called owning your value. You're hiring me to come in and teach your folks how to own their value. How could I possibly come in and do that for free or low cost? Then I'm not the right person for you. You know, you need someone who can show that they own their own value. Otherwise, I shouldn't be a credible teacher to the people in your organization. Yes. It's like, have you read my website even? <laughs> you know the class you're asking me to teach? Um, yeah, I'm, I hear you. I hear you. I totally understand. What is, uh, let's, if you, if you're comfortable sharing this, I'd yeah. like to share a big challenge or setback that you had and how you overcame it. Oh, I'm very comfortable sharing challenges. <laughs> um, I, you know, I think it helps us all relate to one another because we all face challenges. I mean, I, I would say the biggest one in my life has been refine. I don't know if it's, I think it might even be finding my voice, not even refinding it, um, really finding my voice and amplifying it. Because like I said, I learned at a very young age to try to fly under the radar, to play, to figure out this game that wasn't created by me, to try to my best to figure out the rules and play by those rules. Um, because the alternative was deeply traumatic, you know, um, yeah. as a kid, the alternative was just being othered and isolated. And so I learned that unfortunately too well. And so what happened was I got really good at telling people what I thought they needed to hear. And I have a high EQ, like I'm able to read people really well. And so I was very successful at telling people what they wanted to hear. And of course that made them like me a lot. But what happened was I wasn't, I wasn't telling them what I wanted to say in a lot of instances. And so when I, my journey, when I left the law school and started my own business, a big chunk of that journey was about that's it. 
I got up and it was right around the time I turned 40. So something happens, right? With like a decade at a job, right around the time I hit a decade in my age, I was like, this can't go on anymore. I have got to find my voice and practice amplifying it. And so when I started Genly Belong Lab, all of a sudden I'm sitting at home by myself, running my business as a soul, as a solo, and I have a lot of alone time. And so by not having other voices around me, I was able to find that quiet voice within myself and start to practice amplifying it. And I actually was very intentional about it. Like I actually didn't partner up with people early on in the business because I knew that that voice was still so fragile and still so quiet that I couldn't partner up with people because then their voice would kind of um, drown out mine. Exactly. And so I'm like, nope, I got to strengthen this voice and then I'll be ready to enter into, you know, partnerships and work with people more. And so that has been, you know, definitely the biggest challenge and, you know, running my own business has surprisingly been the greatest wet thing I could have done to overcome it. I love that. That's so such oh, wisdom right there, folks, because I'll tell you, when you spend time alone and you sit in the quiet, you have the opportunity to hear the voice of your highest and best self. When we get lost in the shuffle or constantly overloaded with other sensory, um, you know, sensory overload is a real thing. Even if it means partnering with someone and they talk a lot or you're constantly listening or you're doing things, just to sit with yourself and hear your highest and best self advise you and guide you. Um, I think that's powerful. I love that you shared that. That's really beautiful. Yeah, and I think it circles back. Thank you. I think it circles back to the question you asked about what was when, what is one of my proudest professional accomplishments because why did I choose that one that I that I went against my mentor's advice and I followed my own voice. It it was a sign to me that I have now moved through this difficult challenge. So it, it meant so much to me professionally to know that wow, like I listened to only myself on this and I made it happen. Would you say that what you do now is your guy, which yeah. is, yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, I, so the thing is, I am a very, I, I realize that at different parts and times in our lives, we have different interests. We have different passions. We grow as humans. So in this moment, absolutely. Does that mean I'm going to be doing exactly what I do in the way I do it for the rest of my life? Probably not. Um, I hope not because I want I to be it. constantly growing and learning, but in this moment, oh my gosh. Yes, I, I, and I, and I recognize there's so much privilege that plays into that. I'm just deeply grateful. And I, I truly want to help other people also, you know, do what they love and their organizations appreciate them for doing what they love and the way they do it. I think the fact that you live in gratitude comes across. Um, it's so beautiful. And I think that gratitude is one of the most powerful life lessons that so few learn, right? So when you wake up with gratitude, you understand that there are no bad things, right? We, we win or learn, never lose. Well, let me yeah. ask you a, this uh, question. Something surprising about you that maybe people who know you don't. <laughs> I think people who've known me a long time would know this, but people who know me professionally now um, tend to be really surprised by this. And that is that I used to have the most horrible imposter syndrome about my public speaking ability. Wow. Truly, (laughs) truly. And now I do this for a living. I, 
it is it is remarkable and it's it's cringeworthy yet also really cool for me to watch because I have videos of myself speaking from before or audio of myself speaking from before, you know, to really recognize how um, how how much progress I've made. I can't and even imagine that. I mean, it is so eloquent. It's really. I literally used to be. I used to have. I, I tell this story. I, I just told the story in um, a keynote I gave where I would be so married to my script. I would script everything out. Like talk about perfectionism, like That's really toxic perfectionism. Trait, right? It's a lawyer trait too, yeah. but I would script everything out because I, it, and it really came from this imposter syndrome and I would script everything out and I was in delivering a workshop for one of my clients and the, the podium that they had had a really narrow lip. And so my giant script didn't quite fit on it. And about halfway through my training, and of course I tried to pretend I wasn't reading off the, right. uh, the thing, but you know, <laughs> I was coming back to, and halfway through the whole script just like falls onto the floor and scatters ever. I mean, like paper all over the place. No way could I possibly pick it back up and put it back in order. And so I had like another, like another hour and a half to present and I basically had to wing it. And it was such a powerful moment because I realized that I knew this stuff and I actually yeah. did so much better just speaking the way I'm speaking with you right now, like very just freely, even though I might stumble on some words. No, but you know, that's human. That's beautiful. Exactly. It's authentic. And, yeah. and that, so, so it is really interesting, the journey I've taken and just to be able to um, help, you know, share with people that oh my gosh, like some of my greatest imposter syndrome was around my public speaking. I think it's a testament to the fact that imposter syndrome is very addressable. It is yes. very addressable. And you're the real deal. You've lived it. You didn't learn it. Oh, I loved it. <laughs> I love it. This is amazing. Um, we are coming close to the time where we say goodbye. But before we do, I give my guests an option. I have a new part of the program called the wild card question. Okay. If game, I will pull a card from 144 cards that have questions on them. If you're not, we need not do this, but let me know. And if you are, I'll pull Susan, I'm game. Let's go for it. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. You have, <laughs> have spiritually matured and outgrown or grown through some of those lawyer traits that we all recognize. Oh, yeah. <laughs> don't like risk, right? They would never do. Oh, that. they can't stand. Risk. I mean, <laughs> let me be honest. I'm nervous. Like, I, I'm like, I am not. This is not my norm to be comfortable with, like, um, just a random question being thrown out. I'm a person of preparation. Yes. Um, so this that it isn't that it's totally comfortable for me. But I realized that it you know, I have to be able well, to do that. Well, that's the beauty. Yeah. It's the courage. Yeah, the courage. That's right. All right. So here we go. I need some kind of drum roll or something. <laughs> All right. Here's your question. What is something you learned from young people? What is something I learned from young people? Oh, well, I have two young people I have the privilege of parenting and living with, my right. seven-year-old and my six-year-old, who you might have heard screaming in the <laughs> background about 10 minutes ago, um, because they're home, of course, during this uh, COVID era. So I have, oh gosh, there's so much I learned from them. So let me think for a second. Sure. Uh, hmm. Yeah, I think my daughter inspires me in that 
she's getting comfortable with more of a growth mindset. Like she's wired from when she was born to really be perfect, like be really good. She wants to be really good at everything she does, but she has adapted to start to embrace opportunities to get better at things at which she's not naturally good at. So for example, this summer she's been working on reading because reading is just something that doesn't come as naturally to her um, as it did to me when I was a kid. And to see her put such effort in and not to learn how to not judge herself, but to give herself the ability and the freedom and the space to improve and to feel pride in that striving and that improvement, it, it really inspires me because of course I grew up with a very fixed mindset. And so I'm constantly trying to be more growth mindset oriented and to see my own little kid, you know, striving and really feeling proud, not as much of the things she's naturally good at, which she has, I mean, she's a tremendous artist. She has all these things she's naturally good at, but the pride she has in the things that she wasn't originally great at and she's become better at through working hard. So that I is a daily reminder to me. Early on, because there's so many adults who still don't understand that, you know, in, in certain cases, good and done beats perfect and pending. So, oh, I love that, Susan. Oh my gosh, you're going to have to email. I'm going to have to listen to this once the recording goes live because I, I really <laughs> love I love that. Um, oh, and, and it's so know. true. And it's something I feel like she and I are learning together. Like, this is a right. lesson. I'm still learning and she sure. is still learning. And so we're, we're in it together, mama and daughter. I love that. What a beautiful relationship. Well, you are so charming, delightful, brilliant, articulate, fun to listen to. Um, I, I know that you're a fantastic presenter because I know a lot of your clients. So why don't you let people know how to reach you if they want to learn more from you? Absolutely. Susan, I, and I just want to say, I really love talking with you. I really, truly enjoy our conversations. And I think that there's some magic that happens when we um, have a conversation and a discussion. So thank you so much. I would welcome people to reach out to me if they want to learn more about the work we do at Gen Lead Belong Lab. They can go to www.genlead, that's G-E-N, L-E-A-D dot C-O. We have a blog on there that's blog.genlead.co where I do, I love to write. So I have some pieces of writing there, a lot of free resources and tips on belonging, on building belonging, on busting imposter syndrome, sharing some of my own stories and struggles. People can reach out to me via email at hello at genlead.co. Um, and yeah, they, they're welcome to actually connect with me on LinkedIn if they can just put a message in there as to that they're one of your listeners uh, because I do post a lot. Um, probably that's the piece that the social media platform I use the most, but, but I do ask that they just put a little note. So I know that's how we're connected with one another. And I, I would welcome it. I'd welcome people's stories and, and anything that I can do to provide some assistance. You know, what I'll do is I'll also Susan send you a link for folks who are interested in the owning your value imposter syndrome work. Um, there's a QR code and a link I can send nice. that folks are welcome to actually sign up to stay informed. Um, we have an online course on it and, and that's a great way for me to keep people who are interested posted on that. Awesome. Awesome. So my listeners know that I'll write a blog about you and in that blog, I'll reference some of the things you talked about today, like the TED talk, and I'll reference your work and I'll put your website on there and um, any pictures you want to share with me that tell the story of your life. And that doesn't mean just your headshot. It means who you are when you're not your headshot, right? So <laughs> this has been- wonderful. I like it. I like it. 
Yeah, you're amazing. I am honored to have had you on the show. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Susan. The honor has been mine as well. And I look forward to our future conversations. And again, thank you so much for this opportunity and the amplification. You bet. Have a good day, everyone. Thanks for tuning in.